Hello, hello, hello. This is Horn Sap. I'm Animesh. And I'm Peter. And this week, we're all about the grind. Yeah, man. I would classify them as one of the most misunderstood subgenres of metal. What is grind, Peter? What For is me, grind to you? For me, it's all about those blast beats. The, the only distinction I would put between death metal and grindcore is just the blast beats. And the moment you hear the blast beats, you know where which line it's kind of crossed over into. What yeah, about you? Blast beats coupled with very short songs <laughs> and yeah. with insanely weird uh, song titles. And the time signatures, dude. Because like some of the songs, they could just be like, I mean, some of our favorite bands and you're wearing the t-shirts, so I'm going to definitely reference them. Pig Destroyer. We've talked so much about them, especially their latest uh, single. Bands like those, you would say, put them as grindcore, but are they really grindcore at this point? Uh, let's not get into that <laughs> again. We've debated about that countlessly. Um, but yeah, today's episode is about grindcore. And that's because we are going to be talking to a Canadian person called Doug Brown. He is a filmmaker yeah. who's spent nearly five years crafting a beautiful documentary called Slave to the Grind that traces the history of grindcore in America as well as in Europe. And he's done this by talking to some of the most seminal names that you can think of uh, when you hear the word grindcore. So... Everybody from a napalm death to an anal cunt is to on it. Terrorizer, yeah, man. Yeah, he, he. I mean, it. It literally is a project of love, and I do not think if he was not a grindcore fan, he would spend so much time and so much effort, kind of working on it. And I think for anyone who's watched the documentary, it shows. Yeah, definitely. So here's what I would recommend. To all of you listening out there, the one or two people who actually do, uh, before diving into the conversation, why don't you first have a look at the movie, if you can? Or if not the movie, at least the trailer. So we'll drop it in the show notes, so you have an idea of, of where Doug is coming from. Exactly. And then once you've watched the trailer or watched the movie, then come back and play this episode again or play out the interview, because that's when you'll actually get the most enjoyment if that's the correct word, or or you'll or you'll get the context of where Doug is coming from. I mean, one thing I really enjoyed talking to Doug is I think even if we spoke to him for an, an hour more, it would not be boring. Oh, definitely not. He he clearly is a fan. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you'll hear him say some lovely stuff, some lovely stories. So, what are we waiting for? Let's dive straight into that conversation. Do keep in mind that we did record this via Skype, so there is a slight difference in audio quality. We're still trying to figure out how to do that. And if we don't sound as energetic as we are, we did record this close to midnight. Yeah, that's just an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that hashtag is... Reality. First world problems. First world problems. <laughs> Anyways... Here it is. Uh, this is Doug Brown, the filmmaker and the director of Slave to the Grind. Let's welcome to Horns Up all the way from Toronto, Canada, Doug Brown. Hello, everybody. Well, thank you very much for who, who is tuning in right now. Uh, yeah, my name is Doug Brown, and I'm the director and producer of Slave to the Grind, uh, the documentary on the history of Grindcore. Just to 
start off things a little light. Uh, you know, when I was doing research and stuff like that uh, on the documentary, one thing I kind of found was a lot of references to Skid Row while looking up the name of the documentary. So have you been like kind of message, getting messaged by angry Skid Row fans for the last few years while working on or now that the documentary has been released? Um, yes and no. Uh, and I always knew that, you know, calling a film Slave to the Grind, obviously the, the very famous um, Skid Row album was called Slave to the Grind. Um, and ironically, my wife came up with the title Slave to the Grind for the film. Um, when we were coming up with a whole bunch of different titles and things that had the word grind in the, in the name. Um, and then she had no idea that there was an album by a band called Skid Row. She'd never even heard of Skid Row. Um, and, you know, I was immediately like, ah, should we or shouldn't we? Uh, but it's just such a good title, you know, and obviously the, the meaning slave to the grind has some negative connotations because it's like you're a slave to your work. Um, you know, like you have to, you have to go to work to make money to do what you love. But in this case, it's people who are slaves to music, uh, you know, and, but they, but they do love it. Uh, I'm going to say I've had six kind of, uh, strange messages from, uh, Skid Row fans. Um, most of them have been humorous. Um, one though, there was one guy in the States who sent me this message. It wasn't really threatening me, but it was more of like a, how dare you, uh, <laughs> you know, grind, grindcore so disgusting. Don't, don't dare bring it close to the almighty Sebastian Bach. I don't know. It was weird. <laughs> the almighty Sebastian Bach. <laughs> that, yeah, that, I, that so far that. made my Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, just just like kind of getting slightly warmer. Most, you know, of our previous guests that we've spoken to have kind of talked about how they got into metal through bands like Metallica, Iron Maiden. But for, for you, since, you know, you made a documentary on Grindcore, what really got you into, like, extreme metal? Uh, extreme metal for me was actually obituary. Um, mm. And, and like, like most people who like heavy music, like, of course, Metallica was the first band I ever listened to as a kid, and I, and I still love Metallica. But, um, you know, by the time I was, like, 13, 14 years old, um, I started uh, mailing away for CDs uh, through, like, this uh, service called BMG Music Club. And it was one of those like you buy, you know, one CD at full price and you get a whole bunch for a, a penny. And, um, and oh, yeah, I, uh, remember that. I remember that. Yeah, there was a few different services. And the one, the one that I did, I ended up getting Typo Negative, who are obviously not extreme in the growling sense, but extreme in that they're very heavy and slow. So kind of the opposite of Grindcore. And then um, when I first heard Obituary and the album Cause of Death, uh, and the song Chopped in Half will like always stay in my mind. Um, I just couldn't believe that somebody's voice was sounding like that. Um, and, you know, keep in mind, you know, I'm 35, which means that when I was a teenager, bands like Fear Factory were, were huge when like Demanufacture came out. Um, and they were on a live Ozfest uh, CD that I bought and they had the song Replica. And uh, Burton C. Bell, the, the vocalist, I just remember like uh, him starting off with like a rant at the beginning of this saying like, here's a song you won't hear on uh, MTV, fuck MTV, this is Replica. And I just rem remember loving that like anti-authority um, followed by a bunch of people yelling and screaming. So it, it was me going down the rabbit hole of looking at all the, the thank you notes and, and, the, and uh, what bands that all the other bands had toured with. And then I was just buying all their CDs because, well, you know, like, oh, if, if Obituary likes this band, I got to like this band. And, you know, next thing you know, um, you know, 
Cannibal Corpse and Autopsy and you know all these other super heavy death metal bands as it was was my first introduction. Okay, so from there on, after Bitchery and getting into extreme metal, what attracted you towards grindcore? Well, I originally hated grindcore. Um, I had this relapse CD sampler and it had like, you know, the Dillinger escape plan, I think was the reason I, I mm-hmm. got it. And this was late nineties. So just after uh, calculating infinity had come out and all the bands with like blast beats kind of scared me. Like it was just like too much. Um, except okay. for one, band. there was one band that, that stood out and that was Soylent Green. Um, and you know, that has been Falghost, who's the, uh, now the singer of goat whore, um, on vocals and, um, and what I really liked about that band was they had, um, they had some bluesy parts. Like there was some like mm-hmm. swing to it. So it wasn't just pure blast beats. So in a, in a lot of ways, I think bands like that are, are good because they introduce people like myself who, you know, was scared by, you know, a band like Nazem, who, which is just like balls to the wall grind the whole time, mm-hmm. um, which now I ge- generally gravitate towards. That's the music that I dig, like all blast. But okay. um, yeah, I, I would say it was that band and then followed by obviously Napalm Death. Um, but, you know, when I was listening to those bands, I didn't even know the word grindcore, right? You, you know, like you're just hearing these things and they just seem like more extreme death metal until you understand the etymological origins of the terms. And then as you start to, I guess, realize that it has its own origins, like, you know, grindcore's, um, I guess, background is different than death metal's background, right? Like it's pulling from... Um, in many ways, different influences, and also in many ways, different uh, political spectrums and ethics. So um, having the, you know, being like a metalhead, uh, you know, I was listening to a lot of grind bands that were more metally at first. It didn't really gravitate towards the punk aspect of it just yet. One of the things I should follow up with is, did you discover anything new about grindcore after working on the documentary for almost close to four years? Yes, I did. Um, you know, I think like anybody who's going into a big project, whether it's, uh, you know, a, a book or a, or a movie or even a, a giant mural, like you think you know everything going in. Like you could research it and, and feel like you're all ready to go. Um, but it was like after every interview, I realized how little I knew about this history. You know, like I, you know, you read all the books and you, you know, you subscribe to all the fanzines and you, you go to all the shows and you, you hang out with the bands when they they pass through your city. But then when you're sitting down with somebody for like an hour, you know, or 90 minutes, or in some, some musicians we interviewed for over three hours long, you really get to understand what, what it means to, to live the grindcore lifestyle. Like, you know, being a grind musician is brutal. You know, you're making such little money and you're uh, schlepping your gear around and you're playing music that not everyone likes. And maybe some cities, they like it more. And, um, you know, you, you don't really understand that struggle until you, you, you chat with somebody about it. But then also um, making this film, you know, I went to a lot of festivals and yeah. uh, like, I can, I can tell you that like, um, you know, the grindcore community was super thrilled about what I was doing. And I'm not going to say the death metal community wasn't, but the festivals that were pure grind, they were so easy to film at. And it was, it was like, uh, it was like a real sense of community Whereas the festivals that were like, you know, a death metal festival with a couple grind bands on the bill, like they didn't give a shit about what I was doing. You know, like I, I it was, it was a very strange feeling. Um, so that was something that like, I guess I didn't expect going into this, you know, um, 
you know, like I knew that Grindcore was a, you know, a pretty inclusive community, but I, I didn't think it would be as good as it was. Um, yeah. And actually, here's something else that I learned. And you know what? This mm -hmm. is su super debatable. And I'm sure that people will listen to this and, you know, maybe disagree with me. But um, Grindcore is punk rock. And, you know, to me, I was a metalhead and I got into Grind because it, you know, to me was like extreme metal. And then obviously it borrows from metal and, and punk, you know, like it's those two genres put together. But um, the more and more I listened to it, the more I found that it was more of a punk rock ideology, you know, like the uh, the kind of the, the middle finger to the rest of the music industry and how anti music it actually was um, in terms of its sound and its, its aesthetic and whatnot. So um, that was something that was kind of like an epiphany to me, you know, pretty early on in the process where I was like, wow, I guess I'm making a punk rock documentary. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome i can actually attest to that i play in a hardcore punk band in bombay called the riot peddlers and yeah it gets there's a very thin line between the two genres mm -hmm. would you would you agree yeah um like like if you were to make like a spectrum and put like you know death metal on one side and hardcore punk on the other side i used to think grindcore was right in the middle but mm -hmm. now it's definitely leaning more towards hardcore punk you know in my eyes at least okay um there's a dialogue in the documentary to the effect of uh, grindcore is a small world now you filmed across japan the united states uk australia singapore finland sweden uh what really were the similarities or the differences that you noticed in the bands and the audiences from across the small world of grindcore what I what I actually find very fascinating is no matter how much you play in your own country, there's always this like desire to go somewhere else to see what it's like somewhere else. Um, there are some grindcore communities like Midwest United States or uh, Montreal, uh, Canada, and um, you know obviously like many different spots across Japan where grindcore is thriving. But you, what I love is no matter where I was, no matter where I was filming you kind of just need five people, you know, like you just need a couple, like two or three bands and that's all you need. You know, it, as long as people are doing it for the right reasons and there's no real reason to do grindcore for the wrong reason. So it's like, um, yeah, the community is like almost identical in every single, every single city. It was pretty fascinating to see. And what about the bands themselves? Um, the only, and you know, this, this might sound like a bias because I'm from Canada, but I'm actually going to talk about a part of Canada that I'm not from. There's something strange about grindcore from Quebec. And um, <laughs> why do you say that? And it's like, it sounds like just like, like standard grindcore, but uh, Montreal and Quebec city, they party like nobody's business, <laughs> you know, like, um, or, or even like Czech Republic, I would put in the same uh, regard, like, you know, going to have seen extreme and, being there this year for the 20th anniversary, like, like that's a vibe you cannot duplicate anywhere, you know? Um, yeah. But, you know, like, I, I, I've been... I've been sorry. for a music festival in Czech Republic, I can agree. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> it's yeah. just nuts. Um, yeah, so, like, I, I, I don't know whether that's, like, um, maybe the, the longevity of the history might lead to that, you know, like a let's say there's a, a community and it's only like five or six years old, M maybe that has a different effect on how their behavior. Um, and maybe it's just because, you know, Quebec City Grindcore has been around for a while. I'm not saying there was a lot of bands back in the day, but, you know, like 
Dahmer and Think Shit and Inertia Kills. Like there, there was enough where there was a community and all those musicians are still at it, you know, like 20 years later, 25 years later. It's pretty phenomenal. Okay. How would you define the grindcore fan? Are there any characteristics that separate him or her from fans of other metal genres or other punk genres or other genres of just heavy music? Yeah, I, I would say that a, like a, a grindcore fan and, you know, like the word fan is short form for fanatic. And when you think of like somebody like, oh, I'm a fan of that movie. Rarely are you like fanatic about that film. But grindcore fans are fanatic. Like, um, you know, you, you rarely talk to somebody who's like, oh, yeah, you know, I used I used to be into Napalm Death, but I'm not into Napalm Death anymore. You know, like it's like a whereas I do know people who used to listen to Guns N' Roses and they don't like Guns N' Roses anymore. You know, like it takes it's the music is so extreme that it takes such an investment both mentally and like physically to really understand that by the time that you um, are have invested all that, there's like almost like no point in turning back. Right. Like like grindcore is not a p passive listening experience. And because it requires so much of a, a dedication, whether that's like actually looking for the music, which is you know, especially back in the day, pre-internet, it was hard to find this stuff. So if you're like ordering in a CD from, you know, like the other side of the world, um, which I think a lot of grindcore musicians are, um, versus like if you just like Miley Cyrus, you can go to any mall in the world and pick up a Miley Cyrus album, right? Like that's the most accessible it is. So the second that you're like taking that leap into any extreme genre, um, and let alone grindcore, which I believe is, you know, pretty much as far as the human limits can push music um, in terms of its extremity. Like, you're, you're just so invested. So, like, I think the fans are, you know, grindcore is nothing without the fans. You know, you know like, you could go to, um, you know, a Metallica concert and there'll be thousands of people there that got free tickets from the radio. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, nobody accidentally goes to a grindcore show. Like, I, I completely see where you're coming from. Yeah, like, it's like, you know, like, nobody's accidentally uh, ending up at, like, a super intense hardcore punk show. Like, you have to be, like, really wanting to be there. So I find that there's, like, you know, there might be a fan of, like, a couple songs by Pig Destroyer or something that might not be, um, uh, like, 100% grindcore elements all the way through the songs. And I can understand, you know, like, a, a regular extreme metal fan you know, appreciating the odd song. But the second that you're considering yourself a grindcore fan, like you've, you've crossed that threshold and you're, you're a lifer. Okay. There's an interesting point that you raised there about going to the extreme. And primarily, do you think that grindcore is the most extreme form of music? Yes or no and why? Well, I want to say yes. And then I'm going to put a little asterisk next to it. Because like sure. harsh noise and then... Um, you know, noise that is pushing like the boundaries of, of sonic assault, you know, like that to me is like super far out there, but it, I would even not consider that music because there's not songs. Whereas grindcore as a structure and, you know, like if you're listening to, um, you know, like Warsaw or internal rot or like, you know, all these like super intense grind bands, um, there's still songs and they can duplicate them and they can play them the same each night, right? Like there's a, uh, a repetition to it. Whereas, you know, you could make extreme noise, 
but the art form of duplicating it, I personally always found grindcore more extreme than death metal um, because it's like death metal but faster. And I find it more extreme than black metal because, um, you know, I think that grindcore as an extreme sound can speak for itself without a show. And I'm not saying that black metal needs a show. I'm saying that, like, <laughs> like a theatrical I, I you know? <laughs> I will. No, I will add this point because Anivesh forgot to mention that he also played for a black metal band. Hence the laughter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I completely get where you're coming from. Uh, there is yeah, there is no theater theatrical yeah as such involved with grindcore music, but you do see them in other genres, definitely. Yes. But it's pretty refreshing to hear this point of view of grindcore being the most extreme genre of metal music because a lot of other metal fans of different genres will definitely contest with that. Of course, yeah. Every, everyone wants to think that what they're doing is, is the peak of, <laughs> of, of all music. And of course, right? And um, I think that's what makes these discussions so interesting for me because I don't think there is an answer because, you know, extremity... Um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, is just pushing the boundaries of something as far as you can. And when you get on the fringes of anything, you're going to splinter off in the little groups, right? Um, like gore grind, to me, yeah. is mm-hmm. very, very extreme. Now, gore grind, though, um, the second you start to, like, let's say, um, I guess go into the more of, like, the slower, like, porno grind style of things, I think it yeah. starts to lose its extremity. Whereas if you are like, um, there's a band called Sulfuric Cautery from the United States. They're doing a style of gold grind that is so intensely fast. And again, it's not, you know, like I've seen them twice now. um, And it's not like a show in terms of like, you know, they're not breaking things. They're not, you know, they're, they're not trampling over people. They're not like pouring blood on themselves. But the music is so intense live. You know, like it's hard to explain. It's like a a wave of intense terror just like washing over you and the 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 blast beats are so extreme um and i guess i've yet to have had that personal experience from other genres whereas i have friends that will go to a like a a black metal show and they won't even call it a show they'll call it a ritual and they'll come back and and they'll have like a a total transcendental experience which you know that's amazing too right and i think that that's what i love about music that you know it's so so open for interpretation and everyone's, I guess, feelings that they get from it, you know? And and so obviously when I started making this film, it's because I've had enough experiences watching live grindcore where I just, I felt that there is something that was missing from our, I guess, like our pantheon of knowledge where there had been nothing uh, documented on this. Whereas there's there's a lot of documentaries on different aspects of black metal. Sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's negative, but there's been nothing feature length on grind. Yeah, and so you know, you've come kind of walked straight into the path of the question I had up to you was, you know, your previous documentary was Never Enough, was about uh, collecting and collective. Oh, how did you decide to then make a documentary on Grindcore? Well, all my friends who are filmmakers will probably understand this when I say this, but, um, you know, you're always thinking about the next film. So when I was about halfway through Never Enough, um, I, I would, uh, 
you know, I was always go, always going to heavy shows, and I was at a I was at a lockup concert one night, and oh, yeah. uh, and they uh, they unfortunately I remember they could not get Shane Embry in into Canada for some reason. I'm not sure maybe he was on tour with another band, so they had Dan Lilker from Brutal Truth fill in on bass, and I just remember going to this show and just being so mesmerized by watching Nick Barker play drums mm-hmm. and thinking about how his blasting style is so different than. Uh, uh, Rich Hoke, who's uh, the drummer from Brutal Truth that Dan Lilker normally would be playing with. And I was just thinking, like, there, there has to be somebody out there to, to document this, to show all the nuances and the similarities, but also kind of discuss this, like, insane history that had never been documented. You know, and, I, and it was like all these ideas were rushing through me as I was watching this drummer just, like, melt my brain. And then I remember going home and then, like, kind of questioning to myself, is Lockup Grindcore or is that, like, you know, blackened death metal, you know, like like all extreme metal fans, they come up with all these dumb subgenres in their head. And then two days later, I, I remember going to my editor's house and I was like, okay, I think I have our next film. Like I put a lot of thought into this. There's something really intense, really powerful um, with, with a, a humorous and silly uh, history. And the music is borderline comical and nobody's ever made it. What do you say? And they were super skeptical because my whole uh like editing team like they don't like this music they don't like heavy music at all right and uh they just like a good story right they're storytellers and that's what makes i think a a good uh filmmaker is you know you surround yourself by people who are also very interested in 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 storytelling so i need to kind of commend uh steph and rob my two editors they're incredible filmmakers and it was uh you know i've been working with them for a long time i worked with rob actually for 16 years and at this point, I, I want to say in, on films and uh, uh, Steph for, uh, I think this is nine years with her. And, um, you know, like uh, to me, like, yes, I wanted to make it because I love the music, but I also felt like there was a good story there. You know, something that people would want to listen to and watch. Lovely. You're, you're helping us. Uh, you're helping us segues, definitely. <laughs> because the next question I have is a filmmaking question. Um why choose to abandon the narrator in the structure? You're letting the bands do the talking for you. The jumps from one story to another are not extremely clear or well-defined, but mm-hmm. very they flow into one another. So unless you are a fan and unless you're intently listening, you might just get lost if you yeah. just move away from, for the, from the screen for like even five minutes or so. Yeah, that was a, a very clear decision we made early on. My, my last documentary, Never Enough, had, I narrated it. And I was actually in it, um, you know, like as, as somebody who took you along this journey. And as much as I enjoyed making that film, um, looking back on it, that was probably a bad decision. And I think that narration, and I'm not going to say that narration is cheap, and I'm not going to say that it's a cop-out, but it does make it easier. And it's the easiest way to tell a story. And I certainly didn't do this for the challenge, but Grindcore is such a um, a personal thing for the fans. And if I'm going to make a film, and, you know, I didn't just make it for the fans, you know, like I, I do believe that it, you know, people have contacted me who don't like this music, who have enjoyed it. Um, but, you know, there's, there's no voice I could think of that could narrate. Because it shouldn't be me. Because here I am... Um, trying to be neutral, you know, like I, I actually never gave my opinion in the entire film on a purpose. And every single time there was something negative, I had to also show somebody saying it was positive. 
So, you know, like for me, that was, uh, you know, a, a really important idea. Now that made it very tough to edit, you know, like when we were storyboarding. Yeah, yeah definitely. How many yeah. iterations did you go through before releasing uh, this car? Yeah. So like we had, I want to say that there was like four distinct cuts of this film. And the first cut, and I'll use that term loosely because the first one's like, you know, a lot of filmmakers will call that an assembly because you're kind of assembling clips. Yeah. But yeah. You know, our first assembly was was several hours <laughs> and um, and had a lot of stuff that didn't kind of make it into the final film, but it was in the, a completely different order. And we watched that and that was just our crew. And then we took tons of notes and then uh, we're like, okay, we need this, we need this, we need this, we need this, right? So um, it probably added a year, you know, onto this process doing it that way. But, you know, like we did not have, like the band Hemorrhage, um, from Spain, they do an amazing performance in the film. Um, but that originally was not in even our third cut of the film. And I remember us screening a third cut to an audience of maybe 25 people, um, almost a full year before uh, our world premiere. And, uh, you know, we had a gore grind section, but we didn't have a live gore grind performance. And I don't know why, like our crew could not see that. I guess we were so attached to the footage. So, you know, we, we'd, we'd screen this in front of an audience, then we'd get feedback. And then, you know, the feedback at that point was that there was too much confusion between porno grind and gore grind. So we decided mm -hmm. to remove porno grind altogether because at that point we were realizing just how far removed porno grind was from actual grindcore, um, that it was like not making sense to include it. And then we also decided, well, if we're going to get rid of porno grind, let's get a live gore grind band in there. So that's when we included, you know, hemorrhage as an example. So like, you know, this process of like storytelling was uh, an arduous one. You know, this film took me the longest out of all four feature length films I've ever worked on. But, uh, you know, it was a very rewarding process in that sense, because, you know, this is, uh, you know, we're all filmmakers, but, you know, making this documentary was not our full time job. So as a result, we were not really under any time restraints other than, you know, the grindcore community bugging us online every day about why it's taking us so long. Um, but I think it was worth it. <laughs> As a filmmaker, what did you want to leave the audience with that forced you to make a fourth cut? Oh, like what, like what made me like uh, continue on with to 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 continue working on it after that cut? Yeah, after all of that, and to finally release it, um, and in this in this iteration, what did you want to leave the audience who watches this movie with? I guess is that that it, the grindcore is its own thing. You know, like we 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 talk a lot about subgenres of music but i think that after a while like you know um you think about like r&b and soul and all of those at one point were you know subgenres of rock and roll you know or um you know rhythm and blues then kind of turned into rock and roll in a strange way right and um you know now you know i, I have people that friends of mine that no longer talk about grindcore you know who've seen this film now as if it's a this weird subgenre of a few different things, right? They're like, oh, grindcore, I know what that is. You know, so that's always been kind of my goal that like grindcore is a thing, you know, just like black metal is a thing. You know, it's not like just, you know, 20 people in their basement doing it. It's like around the world, you know, and um, because it, it's uh, underground, but also not really accessible. There's not nothing really catchy or hooky about it, you know, like um, finally people can like look at it and not just assume that it's, this this apolitical mess, even though there's a lot of apolitical nonsense within grindcore, 
it still has this power to to do something and stand for something, right? Like, I think that, you know, whenever there's something horrible that goes on in the world, you know, there's going to be a grindcore band that's going to sing a song about it and bring attention to this and hopefully try to, you know, have people thinking more critically about the world that they live in. And, um, you know, I, you know, and I love, I like death metal and black metal too, but I, I listen to death metal because I want to hear people sing about horror movies, right? You know, and I listen to black metal because, you know, the, the anti-religious stuff is, is enticing at times, right? Whereas, like, I listen to Grindcore for everything else, you know, all other reasons. Um, so that's kind of always been my my main goal, you know, just to kind of set it apart from everything else. You know, like, Grindcore exists over here, you know? All right. Uh, just continuing with the, the thread you were going about the documentary, uh, it said, uh, never meet your heroes. Uh, after the release uh, of your documentary, would you agree or disagree with the statement and why? Um, well, it's, it's tough because, like, we think of heroes, you know, as the person you look up to, right? And, um, and no offense to a lot of these crime musicians, but they're just regular dudes. And I think that you know, I, I would agree with that based on some of the more famous people I've met in my life, like outside of Slave to the Grind. But Slave to the Grind was a, a, a nice reminder that, you know, the, the more low-key you are, the less money you're making, um, <laughs> the more uh, control you have over your own music, the nicer of a person you're going to be. You know, like, right. the, you're not really clouded by any pretension. You know, it's really tough to be pretentious when you're, you know, singing like, like screaming into a microphone, you know, like, like there, there, has, there is a point where obviously grindcore is super serious, but you shouldn't take yourself too seriously, right? It, it, it should still just be fun, you know, and I'm, and I'm not going to lie, you know, like, it's not like I've wanted to hang out with every single person I've interviewed, like, you know, like you're, like I interviewed 90 people for this film. I, they didn't all make it into the final cut, unfortunately, but, you know, I met a lot of people from all around the world of all walks of life, and they're certainly not all my my friends and pals. But I've, you know, having worked on a lot of movies, I've never interviewed such a high ratio of people I've enjoyed and liked. Like, like you know, you think about who who's a real hero in grindcore? Is it like Barney from Napalm Death? Like he's like the one of the kindest dudes. And and I and I'm also one to not throw terms around that like that loosely because you know. I think a lot of people in the metal community would be like, oh, I met this dude. He's the nicest guy. And you think you're like, well, you met him for five minutes and you were smoking a joint out back. Like, <laughs> how well do you really know this person? Versus, you know, like I'm, I'm getting to sit down with some people like Dan Loker. I was at his house for like a full day. And, you know, you can really get to know somebody in that period of time. And you want to talk about a nice person like Dan Loker is a, a really nice guy, you know, and, you know, I got to spend a lot of time with his lovely wife, Heather, and, um, you know, we had pizza, and we, you know, like, it's just, it was just like a, he came to my car and helped me load in all the film gear. That has never happened when I was working on, like, previous documentaries or, or interviewing somebody who's, like, any level of fame, you know, like, they would have a handler there, they would have, you know, they would have a manager that went around with them, right? Um, whereas, like, there's not even room for that in your crappy van when you're touring with grindcore, right? So it's like, um, yeah, so yeah, I, I would say, yeah, never meet your heroes, but don't hero worship grindcore musicians because they're just regular dudes. <laughs> okay, 
there's a point in the movie where uh, where it said that this is a grindcore moment so the question to you is what makes a grindcore moment and did you experience any of those while making this movie <laughs> well i'll tell you one moment and and i don't know why i associate this with a grindcore moment well i i guess like a grindcore moment to me is like um something happening that's just so extreme that you just feel like it could not happen in any other place than at a grind show and you know um I, i've been at death metal shows where all hell breaks loose and you've never seen a pick quite like that right but at a grindcore show um like filming hemorrhage somebody brought a burlap sack filled with corn on the cob and <laughs> and starts throwing corn everywhere and condoms in every direction and here i am holding a very expensive camera in in montreal where they were performing and i've already mentioned how montreal's nuts like they party like it's their last day alive right and um and all of a sudden corn's flying everywhere and i'm trampled and like you know i'm covered in everyone else's beer and blood and you know piss and i'm like this is a grindcore moment <laughs> you know like, like it's hard to explain uh you know why that's a grindcore moment you know but you know it's like the recklessness of, of hardcore punk but just with a little more of an edge to it you know like uh Yes, everything that's extreme that happens at a hardcore show happens at a grind show. Not everything that happens at a death metal show happens at a grind show. And not everything that happens at a black metal show would happen at a grind show. But things will happen at a grind show that will happen nowhere else. You know? Um, like, people get naked. Like, like that's something that I, I haven't really found in that many other genres. I've seen so many musicians get completely naked on stage um, where I don't see that that much in hardcore punk, and I certainly don't like I've never seen a, a like a naked death metal band. Um, <laughs> I don't know. That's a either of I actually. I've seen people go naked at a hardcore punk show though. That oh, yeah? In, uh, yeah, that too in Singapore. Ah. Yeah, it was weird. Uh, it was a band called Mucus Mortuary. Yeah. Yeah. Really Hardcore. fun performance. Very hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. So uh, just to kind of wrap things up, at least with the documentary. Uh, you had a crowdfunding uh, campaign that raised uh, $19,000, over $19,000. How important do you think uh, crowdfunding is not only to filmmaking, but to art in general? Well, I think that it can be used well, and I think it can be abused. And, um, you know, I'll be very candid about our finances. Um, you know, we used that $19,000 so quickly. <laughs> that money <laughs> disappeared, you know, like, yeah. uh, you know, the, I have a bare bones crew, but there were still always three of us. Um, flying three people somewhere is very expensive. And then, you know, once you spent that money, um, you know, like, like I'm uh, renting cars and hotels and gas, uh, insurance. Uh, all sorts of stuff that I had to essentially pay for most of post-production myself. So, you know, color and sound mix and um, still about four or five film shoots were out of pocket, you know. Um, and, you know, I, I think that is an, it really depends on the art that you are are trying to make. You know, like if I was making, um, you know, a film that Steven Spielberg would be making, chances are that because of the audience and the amount of money that could be made in return, there's a better likelihood that I'm going to get corporate funding. But, you know, I tried, and it's not like I was, like, knocking on, like, 
Sony's door looking for money. But I, I did try to get some like corporate grants for Slave to the Grind. And everyone was always like, you want to make a film on what? You know, like the, the they were like, oh, what about that black metal thing? That, that, that That's hip. You know, like it was always them trying to tell me I should be actually making a film on something else. Um, and I was like, no, I'm making a, a film on Grindcore. It's called Slave to the Grind. And this is what it's going to be about. You know, so after just hearing no so many times and how that, them saying that, you know, this will never get into a film festival, um, you know. But meanwhile, like last year, we were very fortunate. We, we screened the film 150 times. You know, we screened in like 20 film festivals. We won four awards. And I'm not taking all the credit myself. I have an amazing crew that I worked with. But it also goes to show you that, you know, outsider art is like thriving and well. But you just need to find the audience for it. And crowdfunding allows you to be funded by your audience. Now, um, I could have abused that and, um, you know, asked for more money, but I wanted to keep it modest, you know. And I also could have, um, you know, I could have not delivered. I could have, you know, there's a lot of horror stories with, with crowdfunding. But when you're dealing with something like Grindcore and it's a small, insular community of people that are like-minded and, and obviously... Uh, like very caring about this music, it certainly worked well. But um, Grindcore is super punk rock, right? And punk rocks don't like corporations and uh, Kickstarter's owned by Amazon, right? So I also received a lot of negative backlash, you know, in terms of going the, the Kickstarter route. Um, but at the same time, it was like, it was a decision we had to make because we wanted this movie to be made. We weren't getting funding anywhere else. We knew we were going to make like no money. To me, it was a. Uh, it, it made sense, it, you know. And and now, four years later, because the film took forever to make, like no one even remembers that we did it. So, <laughs> it's it's yeah. not like are you know people I think are just at least happy that it was made, and then it's not a, a corporate film. And then the still, you know, I, I think that the you know my my editor once came to me and said, you know what, Doug, you know I know that we've decided that the film's about punk, but the film is punk. Like I think the the film's pretty punk rock. Like it's. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it's it's got everything in it. You know, there's nudity in it. There's violence in it. There's loads of swearing. Like, it's, yes, you're going to get some of those aspects, but you don't get the middle finger to the viewer. You know, like, our film is not a, it's not accessible to everyone. And I think that that kind of gave our art some credibility. Whereas if we made this underground film, and then all of a sudden it was narrated by, some, like, a neutral person saying, you know, um, speaking about Grindcore from an outsider perspective, I think that that would have been very challenging for those who, who backed it. So I think you need to be very careful about what cards you're going to play when you're, I, I guess, approaching uh, crowdfunding in that sense. All right. As somebody who's, you know, passionate about Grindcore and has been following Grindcore for quite a few years, uh, somebody who's made uh, a film on the genre and spent a lot of time with the musicians, where do you see uh, Grindcore go now? Um, and what do you feel is the future? Uh, and just to kind of wrap that up is, are there any new and upcoming bands that you would recommend to our listeners? Um, well, I, I think that Grindcore is alive and well, but I think that it's shifting from, um, I think it's going back to the underground in some sense. Like if you look at a band like, um, uh, you know, like, Pig Destroy is a really good example. Like, I, I enjoy Pig Destroy. I think they're a great band. I think that they're a really good band to, uh, you know, bring people into the genre. And I think that's super important. Um, but I also think the band that labels like Relapse and Eric that used to, I guess, 
sign a lot of grindcore bands don't really anymore. So a band like Relapse is kind of in its own category on those labels. Whereas, you know, when Earache started and when it was like Terrorizer, Napalm, Death, Brutal Truth, you know, like Carcass, there, you know, there were so many grindcore bands on that label, but now they only have Worm Rocked, right? Whereas like, there's still the same amount of bands. They're just not getting the bigger attention that they used to. Um, so because grindcore is still alive and well, that to me means it must be owned by the underground, right? Like, um, and you know, you go to uh, all these these shows and you go see, um, you know, at least you were very fortunate in North America and where, where I am in, in Canada, whereas like I could go to a, a grind night and there'll be six or seven bands and three of them will be touring. And those touring bands are not on a label, but there'll still be like a hundred people that will come out. And that to me is super cool. And maybe a hundred's an exaggeration, maybe 50. Must uh, <laughs> uh, be real here. Come on, it's grindcore. Uh, yeah, so it's like, uh, I think that the future of grindcore is going to maybe go back to the underground, which will mean more of a lo-fi sound, less produced. Uh, maybe this is wishful thinking, because that's kind of the tunes that I enjoy. Um, as, as for some bands to check out, I know I mentioned Sulfuric Cautery earlier. Um, they're amazing. Um, members of Pizza High Five. Uh, joined to to make uh, sulfuric cautery. Uh, also check out Couple Skate, also from uh, the the Midwest. Um, they're very very uh, very very good. Uh, check out Organ Dealer from uh, New Jersey. Uh, kind of like a you know terrorizer style riffs with like more of a modern vibe to them. Um, there's a two piece band from Australia called Meth Leopard, um, yeah. and and they're very fantastic. Uh, you know like very like napalm style um of, of grind but with only two people it's super impressive uh watching them pull that off they're very very good um you could literally go to any country in the world and find 20 amazing grind bands that will blow you away that you've never heard of and i, I think that's what i what i like about the the genre and also for hey anyone who's uh listening to this right now um if you're if you know any grind bands that you think i should know about you know Shoot me a message on, on Facebook or on the Slave to the Grind Facebook page. You know, I'm always looking for new bands, and I also like to plug up-and-coming bands. So if you're in a, in a, in a you know, a, an unknown grind band you want the world to know about, you send me a message. I'll check you out, maybe put you on the page. You know, like, that, that to me is also super important and part of the reason why I've enjoyed making this film, just to turn other people on to music. So there you go. All right. Lovely. Thank you for increasing... Uh or adding more bands to the never-ending list of music that we need to check out. Oh, it never ends, man. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, as a follow-up to what you said, uh, the fact that labels have fewer grindcore bands now and the scene is moving more back to the underground as such. Um, on the flip side, is, is it right to ask whether grindcore is still relevant and why does grindcore need to continue to exist in this world? Yeah, I, I'm of the belief that if it does exist, it needs to exist, right? Like, I, I think that actually things will disappear when there's no longer a need for them, right? And, um, you know, like, look at new Metal. You know, like, there's, uh, you know, there's very few bands that sound like Limp Bizkit anymore because the world doesn't need that, <laughs> you know, and... You know, like, I'm, I'm sure there's still Limp Bizkit fans out there, but, like, new Metal was a period in time, and it's kind of gone. Or even, like, and here's a genre that I love, but I, I don't think that crossover thrash has survived that long. Like, that was a, 
a big thing in the 80s. And yes, there's like, you know, municipal waste is bringing it back a bit, but they're they're still very thrash metal, right? Um, mm. Whereas like, I, I feel that like, Grindcore has stood the test of time and because it's become its own thing, it'll never go away. You know, a question like that to me at this point in history is like saying, is there still a need for rock and roll? Rock and roll will have its have its big moments and its low moments. And, you know, right now I think that rap is kind of king and then rap is bigger than rock and roll right now. But rock's never going away because it needs to be there. You know, you need the you need an outlet for those who like that music. And uh just just like you're gonna have all these 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 punk rock kids and metalheads that are like disenfranchised youth or you know, upset with the government or or want something that is a challenging authority, so to speak, um, they're going to gravitate towards more and more extreme music. And because those kids are always going to exist, because the world is always, you know, going to have that abrasive element to it, grindcore is never going away. Lovely. But what's next for you? Will we see another part or the next movie about uh, Slave to the Grind? What can we expect? Well, you know, I... For those of you who uh, are interested in like uh, a DVD of the film, you know, over at deathbydigital.com, um, the DVD actually has a, a second movie attached to it. We called it the B-Sides. And it's like a 22-minute mini film on Grindcore. And that was kind of my farewell, right? Like making, uh, putting together the, the DVD through Death by Digital was a, um, you know, a nice way of wrapping up this project because, you know, I'm a strong believer of doing things right and doing them once and then never doing them again. Um, so, you know, as, as a filmmaker, there's a lot of, uh, topics that I am, uh, in the process of researching. Uh, I'm going to say there's four feature length documentaries that I'm all kind of toying with at the same time. Uh, right now, nothing that I'm going to mention cause they're all very preliminary, but, um, yeah, I, I, I my, my time with documenting Grindcore is over. Um, that said, you know, like I am going to be, I'm dedicated to grind for the rest of my life. You know, like I'm during this interview, I'm sitting in a room filled with Grindcore records and, and going to a, a noise show tonight. You know, it's, uh, it's going to be with me for the rest of my life. But, uh, as an artist, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say that this chapter of my life is over. Um, I will continue to help release some things through death by digital records, um, which is the, the, the label and film distribution company that I, that I, I run, but, uh, you know, in terms of me actively continuing to document things, uh, I am not going to pursue that anymore. Oh, one thing that we will be doing, though, is we're, uh, um, we're putting uh, on our YouTube channel um, uh, some, like, historical clips. So we're still going to be releasing odd little, like, uncut interview clips and whatnot, because um, that's, like, a simple way just to uh, say thank you to everybody and uh, continue to show others. Yeah. Okay, so is deadbydigital.com the best place for people to watch Slave to the Grind? Yeah, well, or, or you could go to uh, grindcorefilm.com because uh, if you go to grindcorefilm.com, it'll link you to uh, where you can buy the film digitally or stream it, as well as if you're after the DVD, it'll also link you to deathbydigital.com where you can uh, buy the, the double-disc DVD. And it ships worldwide, and it's all regions, so you can watch it anywhere. Just before we let you go... Uh, how can people reach you? Are you available for a quick chat discussion once someone has seen uh, Slave to the Grind? Yeah, for sure. You know, like um, if you emailed uh, grindcorefilm at gmail.com, um, uh, personally, I love hearing from, uh, you know, fans from all around the world. And I, um, you know, like if, if I, you know, if I heard from every single person to watch this film, I'd be super happy, you know, like that. 
that means uh, that means the world to me, just knowing that people are enjoying it. But yeah, so uh, you can also add me on on Facebook. I'm I'm very accessible on there. Doug Brown is my my full name there. Uh, yeah, I can't believe it's been like almost close to an hour. So I'm really <laughs> glad uh, to take for you to take time out uh, to chat with us and you know just share your insights. Uh, and it, you know it's great to speak to a fellow grindcore fan also for me. So. Oh. Likewise, you know, I, I, I want to thank both of you because, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy uh, talking about this music because it means so much to me. So uh, thanks for the opportunity. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, Doug. Fun's up to you. So yeah, that was our conversation with Doug Brown all the way from Toronto. Quite an enjoyable one, eh, Animesh? Enjoyable and exhaustive. Yeah, <laughs> there was so much information and so much I learned, even though we watched the documentary, both of us. Yeah, this was very informative. And he's so energetic, man. I think there's something in the water he drinks. So. Maybe <laughs> it's just the grind. Yeah, it's the grind. <laughs> Doug, I know you're listening to this. So please keep in mind that we will be reaching out to you pretty soon to do an All A's album. Yeah, th- I'm really looking forward to doing that, man. Listeners, any uh, recommendations which grind album can we look at? We yeah. were thinking of Scum, of course. Or, I don't know, even maybe Terrorizer, World Outfall. What would you think? Which grindcore album should we be chatting with Doug Brown about? You can reach out to us if you'd like to. You can reach us on Twitter at Pod. Peter is available at... Trendcrusher. And I'm available at Asmo Ani. But before we leave you, I just want to take a moment back in time to talk about my very first grindcore experience which was this French porno grind band called Vomit for Breakfast. I don't know how I managed to get this album. It's called Vomit for Breakfast. It's a self-titled LP. It was released way back in 2001. And that was... I couldn't believe that a 14-minute or a 15-minute album could include more than 20 songs and be this intricate mess of noise. But it was so fucking enjoyable, especially to teenage years. What about I you, Peter? What's what's your fondest grindcore memory? Man, I remember similarly listening to Lividity <laughs> back in the day. I mean, I don't listen that much to them anymore. But yeah, it was exactly like you said. I was just, at, at some point, like you have to realize that people who listen to stuff like Podo Grind or Gore Grind don't actually believe or look into all of that stuff and for me it was just i was chuckling half the time (laughs) and just trying to figure out how's that guy making those sounds is that really an instrument he's using or what is it how the fuck do you do a big squeal i still can't figure it out dude and also the samples i mean think about it that on its own is an exercise where someone's looking up samples but yeah dude uh, the lividity albums I still remember getting in trouble once uh, at the airport in the Middle East where they found the album cover. Holy shit. Yeah, and I had to explain to them that it wasn't porn, but yeah, there was a decapitated corpse against a tree. Yeah, you know which <laughs> Liberty album I'm talking about if you're a <laughs> fan. <laughs> what did the cops react or how did the airport authorities react? Well, the guy said... Uh, I'm going to listen to the CD. So I said, sure, go ahead. And I think he kind of realized that he would 
to a certain extent be torturing himself if he had to listen to it <laughs> so he just let me go <laughs> but yeah not an incident i mean of course as a teenager it's a little worrisome and i can talk about it and laugh now so many years later but yeah imagine explaining that to your parents <laughs> <laughs> holy shit <laughs> wow <laughs> That's 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 an awesome story. Thank you for sharing that, Peter. More so, more stories coming up with us in the coming episodes, and uh, we've got quite a few formats up our sleeve. Uh, all I'm going to leave you this time with is a little hint. It involves the almighty Iron Maiden. Yep, I'm very excited for that. Up the irons for that. Oh yeah. But that's for a later time. Yeah. As of now, that's it. We're out of time. We're not actually out of time. I just want to end this. So yeah, horns up. Horns up. Horns up.